You see and hear me? I can see you. I can hear you. Uh, is my audio sound good? Is it? I know you're not recording the video, so I figure background doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, I'd appreciate it if you make it nice for me. But other than that, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, this it is looks like great. A pretty. It's it's cool. It's a good vibe back here. Yeah, I'm digging <laughs> it. Uh, no, it looks like a very professional uh, coffee office. You know, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank You're welcome. You. <laughs> uh, I've certainly met plenty of people who were in warehouses. I'm in my closet. You know, it's it's uh, it's a modern age. It's remote work. It's whatever works. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Wolt, and today I'm sharing a conversation with Taylor Fields. She is the founder of Nostalgia Coffee Roasters in San Diego and the innovator behind brew bags. Our video chat a few weeks ago was the first time Taylor and I had ever met, despite having quite a bit of overlap in both of our coffee and friendship worlds. From the jump, it was one of the most comfortable back-and-forth conversations I've had on this show, and Taylor was incredibly generous in sharing her coffee and personal legends, and how they've intertwined. In a moment, you're going to hear Taylor and I talk about how she got from corporate accounting into coffee, her goal to become one of the biggest coffee companies in the world, how her relationships in life have impacted and been impacted by this path, and how, in her words, she decided to risk it all for coffee. While you're listening today, take a moment to follow at Nostalgia Brew on Instagram and click the follow button on at Roast West Coast while you're there. You'll also find links to Nostalgia Coffee Roasters and their WeFunder fundraising campaign to learn more in-depth details about the company and how you can be part of it. Right now, I'm feeling nostalgic myself for a steaming clay mug of coffee on a brisk fall day, one with just a hint of winter in the air. So I'm going to fill my coffee mug, and I hope yours is full too, because it is time for the show. If you're up for it, I'll jump right in and welcome you to the show. Yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm all in. All right, that was it. I just welcomed you to the show. Welcome uh, to the Roast West Coast <laughs> Coffee Podcast. Uh, if you could, uh, for me, just uh, say your name and your company for the audience. Yeah, so I'm Taylor Fields. I'm the founder of Nostalgia Coffee Roasters here in San Diego, California. And you're the founder. Were you also the roaster at one point? I have not roasted, been roasting our coffee. I started out roasting coffee, but not for nostalgia. It was more of a personal quest, endeavor, ah. home roaster uh, type thing. Um, but no, cool. I haven't been like our head roaster. Uh, that is Brant Rakowski, who is just like the most talented roaster. But uh, I certainly know about roasting, know how to roast, but don't have time to be roasting all the time. <laughs> No, absolutely not. I was just curious because I actually wasn't sure based on the research I had done if you were doing the roasting or it was just Brandt. I knew Brandt had come on, um, I think, more more recently in the history of your company. So yeah. uh, before we get too far into those details, I want to ask you about what you were doing before this. What were you doing before coffee? You're from Chicago area, which is kind of my, <laughs> old, my old homestead. So yeah. I'm wondering what brought you out here and what were you doing before this? Heck yeah, Ryan. So uh, I'm actually originally from New Mexico, 
uh, went to school in Chicago at DePaul, did accounting finance, was actually going to have like a golf career. I thought at one point I went to school for golf and then, you know, kind of, it it was kind of a two-part thing where I fell in love with coffee because of Chicago, the situation in Chicago, and then the need for coffee, and then uh, studying for my CPA exam, which is kind of the thing you do when you get an accounting degree. It's like, well, yeah, go get your accounting or your CPA license. So uh, got my CPA, was working an audit in Chicago downtown, beautiful office, was amazing. Moved to San Diego with that accounting firm because I was so tired of the cold. And yeah, long story short, ended up realizing that audit was not for me and coffee was, and that was my love and passion and decided to just like risk everything for coffee. (laughs) Risk everything. Was there a like tipping point where you just came home one day from work and you're like, I just can't do this. And, and I know that coffee is the thing, or was there some sort of growing pains in between making that decision and finding your way into coffee? There were growing pains. I mean, honestly, going back to college. So I think really my first experience with coffee, I didn't have any coffee growing up. Uh, my parents didn't drink coffee. Got to Chicago, first year of snowpocalypse, was freezing cold, started to see people just like always drinking this like water that had a black tinge to it. And they were like, oh my God, it's like helps me freaking do school and life and it's so warm. And so I started drinking Dunkin' Donuts coffee um, and was like, this is cool. Like it tastes good. Like I get, I feel like I'm more focused. You know, I love these like spray on hazelnut flavors. This is rad. <laughs> and then it wasn't for about a year, year and a half until I started experiencing like pour over coffee on my own and kind of getting into it. And then realizing like, why is this coffee like have spray on flavor? Like what about not sprayed on flavor coffee? And then that's really where I found Intelligentsia in Chicago. Um, happened to just move like right literally above the original intelligentsia in Chicago and Lakeview and started going down there as I was studying for accounting and fell in love like almost immediately with like this scene and this experience of coffee being like this I don't know like a art form but science and beautiful and sexy and tastes good um like really, really cool. I remember tasting my first natural coffee there and be like, this is freaking gross, but like someone thinks it's (laughs) awesome. So like, I'm going to keep drinking this and see what happens. So anyways, I I was really into coffee by the time I was studying for the CPA exam, mostly studying 10, 12 hours a day at at Intelligentsia. Um, Just really getting familiar and knew the Reese's first name basis was drinking lots and lots of coffee, experiencing it from all over the place. When I was in the audit, I couldn't get the coffee bug out of me. So I would actually be bringing to our clients. If you picture like a big conference room at a big fortune 500 company, there's like 12, 14 auditors, right? We're all sitting around a table. I would bring in a kettle, a grinder, uh, coffees from different parts of the world, different roasters. And I would make the entire like conference room stop for like 15 minutes I would bring in like, you know, all this different equipment, whether or not people wanted to. um, And I would teach them about coffee. We would have like a pour over lesson. I'd like, this is a Chemex. So this is Kalita. This is V60. And this is the way you brew it. And these are tasting notes and all of this exciting stuff that I was obviously passionate about. 
I remember one specific company, uh, I can't name it, but they're publicly traded and their CFO walks into the conference room, like suit and tie, obviously like very important. And it's in the middle of one of our impromptu coffee classes. And he's just like, what is going on in here? Like, are you guys auditing or is this like a cafe? (laughs) And it was at that moment, I think, where I really kind of thought like, oh man, like I'm kind of going pretty far into this. Like, I don't know if I can keep up a life in audit when like all I'm thinking about now is coffee and where I can get my next like really cool and unique coffee from. So come home that day, I think over the next week or two, some things started to click for me that the biggest thing is I'm auditing all these companies with founders who obviously have a passion for what they do, but turned it into a business. And I'm now auditing their business. And like, they took a leap of faith somewhere. I never got on a personal level with them like that. But that's kind of what it's about. And I was like, you know what? I know how a company runs. I freaking love coffee. Let's go all into it. So had a really, really, really difficult conversation with our partner at the accounting firm. I mean, it's one of the biggest accounting firms in the world. And told them I was leaving to start a coffee company. And um, yeah, that was like a really like gut check moment because they're like, we'll pay you more. We'll be flexible with you. You can work from home if you want half the time. Just please don't leave. Like I was doing really well in audit. And he was like, you know, you're making a mistake. Maybe wait five or 10 more years when you have more money or you're financially set. And it's just like, nope, this is... I would regret if I didn't try this. Um, And that was definitely a gut check moment though, where like I knew that I was leaving something that was a paycheck and a career and a salary and like friends that I had made all behind for something that could completely fail. And that was scary, but I did it. And here we are. (laughs) And here we are. That is a, that is the moment, you know, that decision of comfort over, you know, it's great risk, great reward is kind of the, the saying. And, but deciding to actually leave that is, isn't the same as theorizing about it. You know, it's not the same as thinking about it to actually do it. And then to know, okay, my last paycheck is coming on this day, roughly this, the end of the month. And now I have to figure out how to replace that somehow or to change <laughs> my life to fit whatever my new revenue is or my new income is, is, is difficult. I know for me, that's always something I, I struggle with and, and I'm married. So we're, we're a partnership. So when one of us makes a choice, the other one is impacted. Yeah. You know, that's always something too. your partner, whoever that is, uh, if you have one gets a say too, as you get older. And so it's, it's this balancing act that between what kind of life do I want in my personal life and what kind of life do I want in my career? And I think where, what happened with you and, and and this is just me speculating, so tell me if I'm wrong, but is your your personal passion started overlapping into your career and it became this thing where why separate them? It became a, everyone always talks about the golf bug where like once you get into golf, like you just want to go golfing. And <clears throat> that kind of happened with coffee for me. It was just, once I started getting the coffee, it's all I thought about. From the time I woke up, like I remember going to sleep and be like, I can't wait to wake up because I have this new coffee to try. Like I was so excited about and couldn't get it out. Couldn't get it out of my system. But yeah, something I haven't really talked much about in like 
articles or interviews or anything is I was married at that point. Um, I say was because we're now divorced and that was really hard. And I'm not going to lie to you, like obviously making the decision to leave a career um, and go to one salary was really hard for the both of us. And that probably didn't put a lot of help on to other things that were happening in our lives. Um, So like besides leaving a job, now all of a sudden I'm like on my own with no salary and really having to figure it out. That person was very supportive at first, like was, you know, awesomely helpful. But yeah, it scared the shit out of me the day that uh, she left. And all of a sudden it was like, my backup plan of having like a salary, at least in a place to live is now gone. And now, now I'm like really deep in the woods. Now I don't have a salary probably for the next couple of years. Um, so that was horrifying. And I, I almost not gonna lie to you, like multiple times almost went back. Like I could have easily gone back to that accounting firm or another accounting firm and just given up and for comfort, but I didn't, really happy I didn't but there's still times even to this day that that sometimes like gosh it'd just be nice to have a a weekend and like a nine to five job maybe and um, some time off but yeah so that was a hard time and and I did have to find I I was nimble during that time ate a lot of like really cheap food which I still do I still did a little bit of accounting on the side into it spent a year like building the trailer and yeah it was a hard time with my partner, uh, with my wife, there is this different mindset of entrepreneurship versus working nine to five. And being supportive is one thing, but understanding that is another thing. And I know that when I left a career to try something and then it and it failed, uh, in a sense, I went through kind of this entrepreneurial spiral that she couldn't understand. And so we had to navigate those emotions. And that's a lot. It's a lot on a relationship to be an entrepreneur because there's so much of yourself that you are putting into this thing. So I, I wanted to say thank you for sharing that with me. That's very generous of you to do. You you start working in coffee. You, you, you've decided to commit. You're leaving the CPA and you need to come up with a name and you settle on Nostalgia Coffee. Where, <laughs> where did that come from? What is that? What is the origin of that? Yeah, so it's definitely a, a fun and happier topic. So uh, nostalgia came about from a different, a couple different directions. So let me give you the most basic one first. Um, when I was roasting coffee and I started out, I got a popcorn popper, um, as many home roasters do. And it was cheapest one from Walmart. It was like $15. And it was the nostalgia popcorn popper. Just like a really crappy popcorn popper, but I could like, pretty much make it how I wanted to roast some pretty good coffee, 20 grams, 22 grams at a time. Not much to, (laughs) not much beyond cupping it by any means. But so that name was kind of implanted from there. But as uh, I started to really think about the business, it was, why am I getting into coffee? And it's, you know, I left Chicago because it was cold. And when I was there, I was always like, God, I got to get out of here. It's so cold. It's expensive, blah, blah, blah. But the times that I look back to in Chicago, it's like always around a cup of coffee. Like I miss so much. Like we're lucky in Southern California with the sunshine and the warm weather. I miss like those cold 
cold, cold, snowy mornings where I would like put so many layers on and walk down to the cafe down the street. And like, maybe I said hi to people, maybe I didn't, but we were all in it together. We were all freezing our face off and we just wanted this like really good drink to warm us up and get us through like that day and to enjoy that moment. And to me, that's like nostalgia for me. I mean, it's like this yeah, whatever I think back to any time I'm drinking coffee, like it's just nostalgic. And so that was certainly a part of it was like this um, longing for Chicago. And then the other part of it is as I was as I was doing those coffee classes for our fellow auditors, you know, a lot of them would always say like, oh my gosh, this reminds me of this, or this reminds me of this time I had coffee. Um, And so coffee is so sensory driven, memories are driven by sensory, and it's like a smell or a taste can kick off this this whole kind of spiral of emotions and um, memories that are typically pretty darn positive, uh, like a first date around coffee. Or like I do remember when I was little, my mom making like French press for Christmas when I had some family over and like I remember that and that was like such a great time in my life and so now for me it's like we're yes we're nostalgic for things from the past and when you drink some of our coffee maybe it reminds you of stuff but what's been really cool to watch is every time someone comes to our cafe or experiences our brand in a way whether it's whole beans at home they're creating nostalgia in that moment for the future so we're creating like future nostalgia which is this really wild and weird concept to wrap my head around but it's so true where people are coming back and they're like man I remember that first cup at nostalgia and it's like dude you guys now have nostalgia for nostalgia and like it's really important it's how we live our values though it's like every moment is so important every interaction with the customer every time we're in front of them it has to be an experience and It has to be this great experience from the coffee all the way to the ambiance to how kind we are. I'm like word vomiting here, man. That's that's a lot. (laughs) But yeah, right. That was that was a lot. (laughs) No, it was great. I I would like to say two things for the audience. One is uh, you mentioned you were originally roasting 22 grams, you know, just kind of enough for a cupping. And for for perspective, for people who maybe don't think in grams. I put 40 grams into my French press, which is enough for about two cups of coffee, maybe three, depending on you know, <laughs> my ratios. So it's not a lot. It's a very small amount to get started on. And I don't think people realize that a lot of, uh, of roasters start on small batches, you know, literally a pound or two pounds at a time that they're trying to learn these skills on. And the second thing I was thinking while you were talking is uh, as someone from Wisconsin, I know that you don't live in the winter. You survive the winter and you do have to do it together. <laughs> and the nostalgia is definitely there for those moments. It's I, I don't have nostalgia, though, for that walk from the apartment to the cafe. Yeah. My first uh, coffee drinking <laughs> moment was actually in Chicago as well at a place called Star Lounge. And a roaster, Dark Matter, uses Star Lounge kind of as their, their home yeah. base. That was my very first cup of coffee, and I can still remember the color of the paint on the wall next to the table and what the bar looks like, and I have that kind of burned in my brain <laughs> as my first my first experience with coffee, really good coffee. Actually, I mean, truly uh, one of my first experiences with liquid coffee uh, ever, 
was there. So I, I certainly have that feeling. You were just talking about how you're creating an experience and people are going to have nostalgia for nostalgia, which is a great line. <laughs> trademark pending. Yeah, trademark pending. <laughs> I would use that, put that on shirts. That's fantastic. <laughs> you You started with a cart, with a mobile cart for nostalgia. Um, you were outside of big corporations and, and you, you still have a mobile cart that goes around town. How do you go about creating an experience as a mobile cart? I think most people think of a cart or as a, a when they hear that, they go, oh, I'll walk up to the window, I grab my coffee and I leave. But yeah, you guys really focus on creating a cafe-like experience, even though it's outside and mobile. Yeah. So I never used the word like food truck when I describe us or a trailer or like a cart anything like that you know we've gotten really good into the habit of saying it's it's a mobile cafe and we mean that by bringing like that cafe experience so like i said when i when i first started getting into uh when when i first started nostalgia obviously we didn't have much money at that point couldn't go out and hire someone to build us this like beautiful um whatever you want to call it mobile cafe or a really beautiful food truck that is like fully decked out and equipped so it took a year because we had to find it on Craigslist, like a shell and do the plumbing, the electrical, the design, everything ourselves. And the one thing in my mind the entire time is I don't want this to be just another food truck. I don't want it to be a coffee cart to where it's just like this exchange of mediocre coffee in a pinch and you just happen to buy it because you're there. It's You're actually seeking it out wherever we are um, with the idea in mind of being a much bigger brand and coffee company someday but this is our this is our way in you know without any investment money or anything so i've been a huge fan of disneyland my whole life um funny enough i don't watch like really disney films but i love disneyland i love what walt disney did by creating this experience you know it's not just about the rides but it's that moment you walk in and you kind of go to this different world and i always had that in my mind with the mobile cafes when you come within our space, um, whether it's 50 feet, 100 feet, you're no longer thinking, where did this come from? You're thinking, cool, like I'm going to study here. Or I'm going to like have a meeting here. I'm going to open my computer and see if they have Wi-Fi. Um, why are there so many plants? Are these real plants? It's really pretty. Like, why is there music? How did this happen? Is this a food truck or is this like permanently here on the street? Like, is and then they order the coffee and they're like, oh, shoot, like this is a really good cup of coffee. Like this is what I would expect from Intelligentsia's million dollar build cafe. Like how are they doing this in five feet by seven feet of workspace? Um, I don't get it. And kind of that like shock, but then this, like they could be in a parking lot, but for that moment they're interacting with us, like they're not in a parking lot. They're in a safe, beautiful, green, fun, environment that we've curated every piece of for them and with them and that conversation is like it's really cool it's magical I didn't see anything like that anywhere I'd gone before to get coffee obviously coffee food trucks have been around and never seen anything like that so I was kind of driven by having that decor which is funny because my apartment is like just garbage like (laughs) If I could bring a little bit of that into my personal life, that would be great. But it all goes into the the business, all like the design and the 
curating every portion of it. So <laughs> you just mentioned some of the challenges of working in a cart. I mean, space being namely one of them. But there's also you guys have integrated kind of your sustainability and your values and your social impact into your brand. How do you balance those two when you're working in a mobile space that's that's kind of predicated on temporariness? Exactly. Yeah. So I think we have to be hyper vigilant, focused on sustainability, because as a mobile cafe, we don't have the luxury of washing the heck out of everything or just going through tons of water or being able to just like toss trash out or extra cups out or glasses out. Everything we did in that mobile cafe, I mean, when we were practicing, it was like, you're aware of every step of the process from where is the water coming from? How much am I using? Weighing it? Where is it ending up? Am I rinsing the pitcher a little bit too long? Are we going to have water if we get a brush right now? Um, is the water right? Is the pump pressure right? How much gas do we have in this generator that we spent so much money on because it's the most fuel efficient and eco-friendly generator on the market? Like, is that running properly? Um, is there trash around the cafe when we leave? Never, because we pick it all up. Um, we're in a coastal community, so we obviously aren't using reusable like ceramic mugs. So everything is, you know, it could have been just like basic plastic and cups and straws and really killed the environment, but really helped us out on pricing. Um, but we made the decision from day one this was three years ago before sippy lids were really a thing that we were going to do hundred percent paper straws and good friend, Chris over at coffee cycle was on that, that route too, of like paper straws. And like, it's like four times the cost of a plastic straw, but to me it was so important. And we always said like, save the sea turtles every time we'd hand out a coffee, like a, a cold brew or an ice latte handed out with a paper straw and say like save the sea turtles just so you're aware of it making sure that our cups are recycled making sure that we're composting our coffee grounds i mean we're in this tight space so we don't have the luxury of just like knocking out um, a puck into the abyss and then not really caring where it goes it's like no if we knock out a puck and then we just empty out a batch brew of coffee, like where are those grounds going? And if we put them in the trash bag, A, the trash bag is going to be too heavy and break when we try to take it out. And B, like where is where are we putting it? Because now we're having to tow it back somewhere. So like we're composting that and we're reusing the glass bottles for our syrups when we can. And now we've gone away from paper straws to just sippy lids. And yeah, a lot of the places we go um, are on the beachfront and it's coastal and it's touristy and people don't love that. But, you know, it's for the the greater good, um, you would say. So from like that standpoint, we're hyper-focused. We don't waste a drop of water. Like we literally cannot waste a drop of water, which is really important, especially in Southern California. You go to a lot of cafes, they'll just like overwashed up, they'll let the you know, the espresso machine run, more water, pitcher and steam wand, like water, you can just like go like that. But but we're very focused on it. And then from like the way we buy coffee too is, is huge on the sustainability front. And we're only becoming more sustainable every, like literally every opportunity we have, we're just becoming more and more of a sustainable company, which is so rad. Um, and as we become this massive coffee company someday that I imagine, 
uh, hopefully we'll bring that sustainability and equity and diversity and inclusion and paying people right and all of the stuff that is on our our value statement that like everyone always says but no one actually does and then we're actually doing it so gosh I feel like I'm taking such a serious tone this is coffee but it's important it is really really important <laughs> it's important stuff and there there is something about like I think a lot of companies have this when they come up with their vision statement or their mission statement and they put a lot of things down what about diversity or inclusion or sustainability or impact. I think in most cases, those are very sincere desires. But the reality is, is a lot of those things are harder to do and they're more yeah. expensive. And so as a company, you need to stay really vigilant, you know, and focused and, and as a person too, and that can be hard and it can be emotional to some impact to, to remember that I shouldn't be running the water when I'm just like washing dishes for no reason, right? Exactly. Or things yeah. like that in my personal life. And so what you're doing with your cafe is is trying to imbue that now, especially while you're you're young and, and growing into this massive company. And I believe that the idea is that the there's a foundation there for when you do grow, that this is part of every decision you're making. Yeah. Speaking of growing, you guys have been fundraising uh, quite a bit for <laughs> a, a yes. cafe. Uh, and roaster. So I wanted to ask you, what's next? What What is all this money for? What are you going to be doing with it? What are you creating? Yeah, that's okay. Great question. So I'm really excited about this. So obviously, coming from a finance CPA background, I do have big ambitions. Uh, I'm totally aware that we could stay a mobile cafe, stay a pretty small team. I could have a decent, not decent, I could have a great life. Um, we could make great coffee. Keep it pretty small, keep it chill, but that is just not my ambition. I'm very competitive, very ambitious. And I'm telling you right now, I want us to be one of the largest coffee companies in the world someday. And that's obviously an ambitious statement. So right now, we are actually just about to close our seed funding round. We've raised a little north of like 300 some thousand dollars and hoping to get to just around a half million dollars. And that's obviously not just for a little mobile cafe or a cafe itself. It's actually really for this innovation piece. So when we look at coffee companies and I was looking at the landscape and coming from my experience working in offices, it was always a freaking struggle to get an exceptional tasting cup of coffee like on the go without being next to like my favorite cafe or being in an office, I'm stuck with Keurig. I think most people who can who are listening to this are probably, if they've ever been in an office, they know office coffee is just like blah or hotel coffee. And we don't always have the time to like go for a 20, 30 minute jaunt to like grab, you know, a really great tasting cup of coffee, wait in line, um, pay sometimes an exorbitant amount for a cup of coffee when like you just want it, you want to have it and be there. And so when we were roasting coffee, when we started out a year and a half ago, and we were doing our whole bean coffee, you know, a lot of issues we ran into is a lot of our loyal fans loved coffee. They loved when we would make them this great tasting cup. But they were saying like, oh, man, like, I don't have the time in the morning to do this pour over. I wish I could do it how you guys do it. Um, I'll buy this bag, but I really don't know what I'm doing. Or can you grind it for us? And you know, we, we do our best to say, like, this is the ratio we think you should use or this. And sometimes you see the eyes glaze over and you're like, oh, my gosh, we just roast this exceptional coffee. And I know that when they get home, it's. There's a million and one ways to screw up 
a great tasting coffee at home or on your own, especially if you don't have the time or just the nerdiness to nerd out over the coffee and learn all about it. Um, and so this kind of started a venture for us of thinking, how do we get great tasting coffee to everyone out there that they can really carry around in their pocket, this extraordinary cup of coffee? And so we had gotten, uh, we were approached by a company back in October of last year, September, after we had some coffees on Coffee Review. Um, and they said, hey, send us, basically, this is a pitch, send us uh, $10,000. Dollars, 300 pounds of coffee, and we'll send you back 10,000 tea bags uh, filled with coffee. I go, oh, that's kind of cool. That could kind of solve this need. Like, let me see how it tastes. So we did a sample of it, one of our best coffees, get it back. Completely disappointed by the taste. Like, we knew this coffee inside and out. We brewed it to the directions. We brewed it every way possible with the tea bag. And it was just tasting like horrible. It just wasn't our coffee. So it was at that moment that really the rest of the, the team was like, I don't, why are we even messing with this? Like our bread and butter is whole bean. Like we make great coffee. We make great coffee in cafes. Taylor, you know, you want to open a bunch of like really cool cafe concepts around the country. Like let's go full force in that. Well, I just couldn't get out of my head that like I'm getting busier and like making my pour over every morning is starting to get a little bit uh, too much for me waking up at four and then like doing a pour over and then getting out the door. So I started to think about why did this coffee not taste good? Like we did everything. The, the roast was great. Um, you know, this is a well-known company. Like why didn't it taste good? And so after doing a lot of experimenting ourselves, we figured out we need to go back to the drawing board and holistically look at this oh, way of brewing coffee. Just like some coffees are great on French press or some are great on Kalita. Um, this is a totally different method. Like this is like, regular drip coffee versus espresso like two different roast profiles just theories of going into the coffee and what they're going to be used for so we started really experimenting yeah about nine ten months ago with different coffees from around the world different varieties of coffees different processing methods you know natural processing really drew it to us uh, and then the roast profile blend ratio Micron particle size, which really means fancy word for grind size, the amount of off-gassing, all of these components that go into we call a brew bag, which is coffee in a tea bag, which is a very simple way of saying it, all really matters. Like All these steps really matter. And so we finally came to this point where we had sourced the coffee, we blended the coffee, we roasted it, we off-gassed it for a amount of time, we found a partner here locally to put it in a bag for us. And it tastes like a damn pour over by just adding hot water. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is huge. It's inside of a bag that's compostable. You know, Keurig is just crap. This is exceptional tasting coffee. We're going to be price competitive. I think we should get investment money for this and take this big. And we don't have the capital to make a splash. To make a splash in the coffee industry with big players like Keurig or Starbucks or Blue Bottle or anyone like that, you've got to have cash. Um, you've got to have great marketing, PR, advertising, website, brand development. So we started doing angel conferences as a, feel free to stop me if I'm going on too long here, but as like a gay woman founder looking for capital, it's very, very challenging. First thought was, let's go to a bank. Let's get a loan. This should be easy. Nearly impossible. 
I'll actually say it's impossible. So then it's like, how do we get money? So we start looking at angel investors and the investing community in San Diego. And San Diego is a hub for technology, life science, biotech, all of that. And all of that comes from seed funding, series A funding, investors. And wait a minute, I speak accounting and finance. I think I can actually make a splash here. It's not often you get a food company going this route, but I got connected with this great woman named Sylvia Ma, who's a really well-known entrepreneur, investor. She was a teacher, uh, talent, like just a great mom, but a super talented entrepreneur and connector and believer in female founders and diverse founders. And she became my mentor. And so over the last eight months, we started raising capital to make this idea real. And she was certainly hesitant at first, like, is this actually good coffee? Like, I drink coffee my whole life. Came to the warehouse. We did blind cupping. So we compared it. And she's like, oh, my God, this tastes better than like pour overs. Like, this is sensational. So then we did like the San Diego Angel Conference. We were quarter finalists. And that was a huge feat. I had never competed in an angel conference for money before or investors. And we're a food company and we're not like solving cancer where most of these companies are. We're just solving great coffee for everyone. And so long story short, I mean, after that, it's just kind of taken off to this point where we've been doing more and more research into it, improving the product. We're probably on version 60 of it now, ready to launch in November have a great team of advisors, investors behind us now, a great PR firm, advertising agency, and we're going to make a splash in November, December, and hopefully the, the sky's the limit for us. And Keurig is shaking in their boots. I'll put it that way. Like better, <laughs> better coffee, better for the environment. We're paying and working with our farmers. Like it's just, it's all there and it tastes so much better and you don't need anything. Uh, to do with it other than hot water. <laughs> That's exciting. Um, I've had a few teabag-esque coffees in the past. And yeah, I wouldn't say they were bad, but I wouldn't say that they were great either. They served a convenience need for me. So I'm I'm really curious and excited to try what you're, what you're offering. You... Oh, sorry. I just want to say, and that's like really important is yes, it's serving a convenience need, but <clears throat> nothing I'm going to put out to any of our customers, whether... <laughs> they're my parents, family members, or our diehard fans is going to be just okay. We're not going to settle for just okay. A lot of coffee companies have these tea bags and they're manufactured by one company and they're co-branded and they're just okay. That's not okay with us. Like this should blow you away. Like every time you drink a cup of coffee, it should be an exceptional experience, period. There shouldn't be any like well, because I'm camping, like this is the best I can get. No, it's I'm camping. I have this freaking amazing cup of coffee that tastes just as good as my pour over at home. Like this is rad. Oh, and by the way, like we know that the um, producer in Colombia is getting paid a heck of a lot more than this instant coffee that we were using before or just okay coffee that other roasters sent that maybe was older coffee and they had nothing to do with it. Um I obviously sound aggressive towards it, but trust me when I say I've tried pretty much every coffee that's ever been in tea bag, and uh, we're on a mission to change that perspective, per perception of it. So, <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, I I remember the first one actually uh, that I had, which was camping, and it was given to me by a guy who happened to work for the corporate offices of REI. We just randomly met each other uh, in a campground 
in Oregon. And, um, I was desperate for a cup of coffee because I was bike packing and just not carrying like grinders and things with me. And I had gotten too far away from a town to get a coffee <laughs> anywhere. And it was cold, much colder than I was prepared for. And he gave me this, uh, this little packet tea bag to, to make. And I remember being so thrilled that it was just okay because I wanted it. I wanted a cup of coffee so bad, but even in that moment thinking, Oh, well, I don't know that I would get this on my own. So to hear that you're making something that is, that would give you that experience that I try to get from my local coffee shop is, is exciting as someone who spends a lot of time outside. Imagine how much better that day would have been if you had been floored by that (laughs) cup of coffee. Right. And that's what I'm kind of thinking of is like how great it was just to have okay, you know, multiply that now by excellent, right? <laughs> yeah. You are currently roasting, I think, at California Coffee Collective uh, yeah. in North County, San Diego, you and Brandt, uh, which is kind of the brainchild of, of Elliot at Steady Estate. In a year in which it's been, fuck, almost two years, excuse my language, everyone, <laughs> uh, yeah. In which COVID has thrown kind of all of hospitality into this roller coaster. Has there been any, have you felt like that collaborative, that collaborative experience of being at a collective, is that still exist in the world or is it still, we go in, we do what we got to do and we get out of here because of the situation we're in? I don't even know what you mean. What's COVID? Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, no. (laughs) No, uh, yes. That's a great point. So yeah, the Roasting Collective, Elliot, Len, like amazing, phenomenal humans, and definitely this collaborative, helping each other out, kind of this understanding that we're all going through this together approach really started day one when back in March of 2020, when COVID happened, that it was like, you know what, we're all stronger together than independently. There's a lot of egos in coffee, and I didn't expect that when I first really started to get into coffee. But there's a lot of egos. Like, there's a lot of people who think they're roasting coffee the right way, and other people are roasting it the wrong way or the way they're sourcing it. But what I've really seen that's been really cool in the last year, year and a half, is this collaboration of hey, you want to split like a shipping container or go in on coffee together or like Elliot and Leonard doing, like create a place that multiple roasters can go and roast exceptional coffee the way they want to. Um, But in this collaborative format where you're going to get help, you're going to get equipment if you need it. And uh, yeah, kind of like helping lift one another. Like when a coffee company down the street does really well, that's great for a coffee company like a couple blocks away because the better their coffee is, the better your coffee is, more people know about coffee. I think, I, I don't know if, I mean, so Coffee Cycle obviously is uh, one of my favorite places in San Diego. Chris, good friend of mine, um, but a Starbucks opened right across from them and he had this really cool approach. Like at first it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm so sorry, Chris, like this sucks. And he was like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, this is, this is awesome. Like the community is going to support us more. There's more coffee in this area. There's going to be more eyeballs around here. Like this is all working together. And it was that like on an extreme level, this massive corporation and a a small roaster, you know? Um, And so when it's like two small micro roasters or family run businesses, like it just helps each other. And so I've seen that 
throughout the pandemic, like if we're short on coffee or someone is short on coffee, we can get coffee from someone and they'll help us out. And yeah, CRC has just been a huge help for us. We've had eight months now, our roaster being built um, just keeps getting delayed. It was supposed to be three months at most. And it just keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And that's because of COVID and shipping and all of these various factors that are affecting it. And so they've really stepped up and made that space available to us anytime we need it and their extra hands when we need it and using their facilities. And it's been, we wouldn't be here without them. So I owe a huge like shout out to them. They're amazing humans. You just mentioned your own roaster. Does that mean there is a more permanent location coming for Nostalgia? Yeah. So we've got, we have a roasting facility uh, in Miramar. It's about a thousand square feet. And that's kind of our home base for everything. Mobile cafe. Uh, we currently roast there. So we sell coffee online. We sell coffee, uh, uh, you know, in bags at our mobile cafe. We obviously use our own coffee for the, the cafe itself too, which you know, anywhere from 40 to 80 pounds of coffee a week in there. We've been roasting on an ARC roaster, <laughs> which can do a little bit over a pound of coffee at a time. So when you were talking earlier today about starting out with small batches and home roasters, we've been doing that for a year and a half. So it's been great because Brant and I have learned coffee so intimately and so on this micron level of like, just the slightest adjustment can make this flavor taste this, this much better. That we've really honed our roasting skills and really been able to dial in some of these coffees that were okay, but overlooked by a lot of coffee companies. And we were able to roast them and just bring out this brilliant flavor profile. But we have far exceeded the capacity of roasting a pound at a time. So right now, if you were to hop on our website and order coffee, you're still going to get uh, basically a bag roasted for you by Brandt and packed by myself and shipped by me. But in the cafe right now, most of that coffee, we have to roast at CRC and we have to do two, 300 pounds a day when we're up there because I can't have Brandt roasting uh, 400 hours a week. I don't think that's, there's not even 400 hours in a week, but it would take that long. I mean, each batch of coffee takes 10 to 12 minutes, four minutes between you're looking like 16 minutes per batch. It's a pound. So you do the math, but it would add up. And, uh, you know, we're starting to get to the point where our online orders without any marketing is getting to the point where we can't handle that either. So this roaster uh, is being made by USRC. We're really excited about it. It's going to be doing 25 pounds uh, a batch, which will really like just help us take it to the next level. Um, at a certain point, we'll be able to do 1,000, 2,000 pounds a week if we need to. And with the brew bags and the scaling, that is all coming down the line quickly. And so as much as we like going to CRC, it it's a pain in the ass to bring like a couple hundred pounds of coffee in a truck, drag it out, put it over there, get set up and bring it back. It's been a lifeline, but I'm ready for us to have just our dedicated roasting facility with our own packing, shipping and everything. So right now it's been kind of piecemeal and San Diego has been great for helping us with that. But we're ready. Hopefully within a month, I'll talk to you and be like, man, we're just cranking on our own roaster and it's beautiful. And like, just, yeah, it'll, it'll be awesome. And then we're going to be able to really expand from there. You, you mentioned this earlier um, about being a woman and being an out woman in coffee, which is part of your, your branding and you're very public about it. Does that matter in what you're doing? Would you rather that people like me don't ask about it? Or 
how does that impact your brand and what you guys do? Yeah, I appreciate you asking it open-endedly. So when I first started Nostalgia, I didn't tell anyone, you know, I was gay. I really just wanted to focus on the coffee and making sure the cafe was tasting exceptional, that people were seeking us out, not because of who I am, but because of the product we were putting out there. It wasn't really until I met Sylvia a little over a year ago, yeah, maybe a year and a half ago now, and I kind of leveled with her. I told her like about my personal life. And as women in business, like we all have like pretty crazy stories about how we get there and the hurdles that we have to overcome just because of like our gender and all of the stuff that goes into that. And then being gay on top of that makes things even more challenging. But she said something that was really impactful. And it was, Taylor, like, you're going to be in a position someday to make a real difference. And you don't need to, like, be public about everything. You can totally just keep it about coffee. But you have the power to make an impact for, like, young women, girls, like, anyone around the world and show that things are possible. And certainly as we grow bigger, that's becoming more important. So, Is it tied directly to our brand image these days? No, it's not like on any of our packaging or anything like that. But I am open about it and making it a point when I'm in an investor meeting, typically 95 to 100% men in that meeting. And I make a point of it. Like, yeah, I'm a woman in the room and I'm gay and listen to me and we've got great coffee and it's just a fact of who I am, but do not let that go into consideration of why you're not going to invest in me. And if you're not going to invest in me because of that, then I don't want to like be associated with you anyways. But I have this power now, which is really cool. This responsibility almost in a sense to help out our community and anyone that is marginalized in San Diego, the United States, around the world. And we've made that kind of our mission the last year. It's like everything we do needs to be helping the greater good. I had a conversation recently with uh, this cool group that I'm joining. And we were talking and I, I was saying that, you know, my dad and my mom, like they have good intentions. But sometimes they say things that hurt people, but it's okay. They have good intentions and they're learning. And he was like, you know, Taylor... I'm kind of tired of people saying like, just because you have good intentions kind of as like a shield and like people are hurt on the other end. So we need to be talking about that hurt. And this is this bigger conversation. And that really stopped me in my tracks. by going, wow, like I have not been using intention as like a excuse, but you're right. It's the impact that that intent makes. That is what we should be talking about. So even if you intended to be nice, but it hurts someone, like we need to figure that out. So I know this is kind of off subject, but my mind is still expanding on the openness, my openness around it, how we can help the community, um, how we can help all communities and realizing that sometimes intent isn't good enough. Like we've got to actually consider what's happening. And um, that kind of goes back to our sustainability and the initiatives of working with our farmers. Side note, We officially launched last week 5% of our revenue from every sale of a a bag of coffee or box forever is going to go directly back to producers We're putting in a separate bank account. And I can tell you more about that. It's it's a really cool story how that evolved. But hopefully as we become a huge coffee company, that number is going to be substantial and going to make real impact too. 
Um, the other thing I want to say is, you know, when we're talking about real change and effective change, putting women in positions of power, like in our company and just people in marginalized communities in our business and having a more diverse team has just helped us tremendously be like the best coffee company out there. So I think like secret sauce of any good company is be diverse. The more diverse you are, the better. And it's awesome. And I've been kind of preaching that in these investment meetings and defending some positions. They're like, well, why didn't you hire this guy or this person who has this much more experience? It's like, no, because I really like this person. They have the potential. We're going to watch them grow. Um, and it's going to be amazing. So just being aware of like the decisions we're making and how it, yeah, impacts people is important. I would I would only follow up with that by saying I think one lesson I've learned as I've gotten older is that our positions, if if we're willing to, our positions change in life and what we with the knowledge that we gain and any any time that I try to lock myself into, well, this is what I believe, this is my thing, I end up you know, regret, not regretting it, but end up going later on going, what was I thinking? Like, cause now I have more information and I have more experiences and I'm going to steal this from Brooklyn nine, nine of all places, uh, which is a sitcom, a funny sitcom, but <laughs> there's a great, a great line in there, uh, in which captain Holt says something along the lines of, you know, anytime somebody tells the world who they are and shares that with everyone, it becomes a more interesting place. And I think that's a really interesting concept. And I think the more that my awareness of the world has grown and the more that I engage with all different people from different backgrounds, from different histories, you just realize that there are so many experiences and we can never really be aware of how we are impacting everyone down the line. And we can only try to keep learning and growing and getting better and better and better at what we do um, and how we treat people. I love that outlook. Yeah. And, th and that's where... I'm starting to embrace more the fact that when I've done some TV interviews and stuff, like I'm, I make it a point to give a little bit of my personal story and hopefully change some minds and opinions out there about what these preconceived notions are. And yeah, you better believe that like, I'm freaking proud of myself and who I am and our community and like, but we have a lot of progress to make and I I want to help in any way I can. And the bigger we get, the bigger the voice we have, the more we can change. And I'm aware of that. And we need to keep that on the front of everything we do at Nostalgia as we grow. Like that is key to our success. I know that you have actual work to do today, uh, as much as I'd like to keep talking to you uh, <laughs> for the rest of the day. So I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everyone to end a show, which is, when you are headed out on the road or you are, you're not drinking nostalgia, you're not cupping, you're not doing something like that, and you just walk into a random coffee roaster, a random coffee shop, what do you order for yourself? <laughs> I will always order a pour over if it's an option or their batch drip coffee. I'm not one for like crazy drinks, lattes, sometimes cappuccino, but really just a great cup of coffee and willing to see like whatever they whatever they decided to put on batch that day or drip like there was a reason behind it there's a story behind it I want to taste it and hopefully when I ask the the barista or the cashier like maybe they'll be able to give me like a little bit of insight into that and it could expand my 
expand my palate, but also my idea of what's possible with a coffee. And that's always cool. It's always like you never know what's going to be on drip somewhere you go or on that pour over station um, and where it's going to take you to what part of the world. And I love that. And it's so cool that I'm able to take that and bring it back to nostalgia and say like, I had this ridiculous coffee from this place that was, you know, sourced from here. Like maybe we should look at this. Like this was not something that was ever on my radar. So yeah, black coffee, even at any restaurant, like I'll, I'll get like a drip coffee. It's my favorite. <laughs> Very cool. I really appreciate you spending an, an hour with me uh, today and, and being so generous with your story. And I would just thank you for coming on the podcast. Heck yeah, Ryan. Well, thank you for having me. I feel like I got a little bit too serious on this podcast, but I do have like comedy and jokes I can always throw in at some point. So <laughs> maybe the next time we talk, I can I can place some of those in there. <laughs> That'd be great. I would love to chat with you again uh, more about the farm, the new farm initiative and the new T-Bay concept coming out soon. Uh, actually, this show will be coming out like kind of right in line with that. So that'll be great. Cool. And I'm just excited to keep seeing seeing what you're doing and learning more. It's exciting. Everything's exciting. It's coffee. Coffee's exciting. The world's exciting. Uh, coffee's blowing up right now. So it's a good time to be in the coffee. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me on here. Please stop by, say hi in person. And uh, thank you to all your listeners. Y'all rock. So cheers. <laughs> Okay, to recap, Taylor left a career, a successful one, in corporate finance to pursue a dream of working in coffee. I've had moments, and I'm sure you have too, when our minds wandered to that question. If I had $10 million or $100 million or a gajillion dollars, what work would I still want to do? For Taylor, the answer was coffee, but not just coffee. It was also being a disruptor in the coffee industry. It was pursuing that feeling of accomplishment that comes with laying it all out there. Talking with Taylor was a joy, and it was noticeable that despite all her current projects, including Brewbag, including the Nostalgia Fundraising Campaign on WeFunder, and despite the challenges of just running a small business every day, she was never really selling anything to me or to you, the listener. She was just sharing her passion with us, and damn if it didn't make me more excited about coffee than ever. I have a lot more to share about Nostalgia Coffee Roasters and Taylor Fields, but this has been a really long show, so head to RoastWestCoast.com for more for links, for some Coffee Smarter education, and subscribe to the newsletter so you don't miss any of these Roast West Coast episodes. And if you enjoy listening to the stories of entrepreneurs, of coffee professionals, of coffee itself, please share Roast West Coast with a friend and take a moment to write a review wherever you're listening. That organic word of mouth, that extra review is the best way for us to grow the show, and I really appreciate it. If you are inspired to drink some coffee locally today, stop by one of this show's industry partners like Steady State Roasting in Carlsbad, or Cafe La Terre in Solana Beach, or Zoom Bar Coffee and Tea across from Patagonia in Cardiff. Or order a bag to brew at home from Marea Coffee, Leap Coffee, Moster Coffee, Camp Coffee Company, or Coffee Cycle. And as always, thank you to Cape Horn Coffee Importers and First Light Whiskey for supporting the show and for helping us grow the craft coffee community. I'll leave you with that quote from Captain Holt to Rosa Diaz in the Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode, Game Night, in which he says, Every time someone steps up and says who they are, the world becomes a better, more interesting place. So thank you. 
This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.